Hello and welcome to the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's podcast, we're absolutely honored to have Rob Grant, Vice President of Global Government Affairs at Cruz, on the podcast. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, Grayson. Uh, great to be here. Great to see you, old friend. Um, I'm looking forward to today. It's great to, to see you as well. And I want to go back to our childhood. Because growing up, you and I have something in common that not a lot of people know. You wanted to play center field for the New York Yankees. I tried to hit the baseball like Don Mattingly. So I want to know now to the careers that we're currently in, when can we get together and go to Yankee Stadium in a cruise vehicle? Oh, well, that's great. I mean, you bring back so many good memories when you talk about the Yankees. I just remember listening to Scooter Rizzuto and Bill White and all the calls. Uh, holy cow, just fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, the thing that I'm appreciating, uh, again, is, is to look forward to when we can get back to seeing baseball live, right, first and foremost. Uh, and, and that'll be exciting when that day comes. But uh, it's hard to put an exact date on New York, but I know here uh, what Cruz is doing in San Francisco is, is very soon we'll be able to go down and, and take a ride to Oracle Park, uh, maybe see Yaz's grandson, uh, Mike Yastrzemski, play. Uh, and I, I look forward to having you out here and, and taking that ride to the ballpark with you. Oh, that I can't wait. So I want to stay on the Yankee theme. So growing up, and you want to play center field, was it more in the Matt Mantle DiMaggio mix, or was it kind of more in the in the Bernie Williams style of play? Oh, it was definitely Bernie Williams. Uh, you know, he was he was just my favorite player. Uh, before that, I loved Roberto Kelly, who he replaced. Um, you know, we just just playing center field, walking into that stadium as a kid. You know, smelling the grass and seeing the sights. It was. Just for me, one of the, the best things growing up. And, and um, I can, I still, to this day, you know, 45 years old, I still think I can get out there and play. But, uh, you know, I think th there's a lot of uh, history in, on these old legs and, and tired arm that suggests that that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, listen, we can go out there uh, like my dad would play in the softball leagues and, and reminisce about, hey, remember when you could actually throw it all the way from the outfield to the home plate? <laughs> Yeah, I go out there and throw the ball at my kids all the time. I got I got four boys, as you know, and they're very active. Um, and they make fun of me for my velocity. They're like, hey, you know, I, I'm not even sure you could hit 35 miles an hour if you're pitching the ball. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we have fun. Well, we have fun. And so I'm excited when I come to see you in San Francisco post-pandemic and there's fans back in the stadium and you're dealing with the, the atmosphere of Oracle Park. What will that experience be like? Will we, we meet, will we leave from the cruise office? Will we you meet me at my hotel? Or what, can you kind of like, how will that whole experience work for us to get there? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think the great thing at cruise is we're really looking to create an entirely new experience in transportation, right? And, and that's, that goes beyond just what the actual ride will look like. Uh, it goes to how are you fundamentally going to look at moving people and moving goods uh, around in a much different way? Right. I mean, we look at the status quo right now and, and it's got a lot of limitations. Um, it's too polluting, too uh, unsafe, um, doesn't serve enough people. Um, and, and at Cruise, this is what we're trying to change. So, you know, for us, your experience will be like, um, you know, we could pick you up anywhere. We can move you around in a 100 percent all electric vehicle that's not going to put extra pollutants out there. And we're going to get you to where you need to go safely, and we'll take you back anywhere. So if you want to be in one of the outer-lying parts of the city, you know, closer to the ocean, say out in Outer Sunset or, or you know, somewhere else, um, we, we plan to service all of it. And so your experience will be safe. It'll be clean. It'll be uh, all green. Uh, and it's one that I think um, you'll really enjoy the first time. But the hope is, like, you'll use it every time. And it just becomes integrated as part of the way you get around San Francisco whenever you're here. Um, and, and for us, we want to make that as iconic of a San Francisco experience um, or any city we're in as, uh, say, taking the cable car. That's a great analogy with, with the cable car. And I remember I grew up in Connecticut and I, I like my wife calls them horrible movies, but I think they're great movies. And I watched the movie The Rock with Nick Cage and Sean Connery. And they went to the right. uh, the Fairmont. I'm like, okay, I got to go see this place. And I want to go on a trolley car. It's like this this iconic thing. And then you saw the Rice-A-Roni commercials. It's a San Francisco treat where the trolley car was embedded into so somebody growing up on the East Coast. When you, you went to San Francisco, you had to go on the trolley car. It didn't matter what you did. You had to go there and get your photo taken. Yep. And so when you look to the future, 
do you imagine that the the cruise and the in the origin being a part of that San Francisco story that's ingrained and embedded with the city? So when tourists come from the East Coast or other parts of the country that might not be exposed to technology, they have to get that photo. Absolutely. Not only do they have to get the photo, they have to take the ride, and then they go back home and say, "Why don't we have this here?" Right? Why? What? What is it about what we're doing in, in X Y Z city that that we can't mimic what's going on in San Francisco? Right? Um, and that's really what we're looking for. And we're looking to do that across all demographics, right? It's not just about the wealthy tourist that comes in. It's, you know, to the folks that, um, you know, haven't had a chance to experience an AV because they seem like it's, it's not really something made for them. We want to make sure everyone feels like AVs are made for them, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your status as visitor or lifelong resident, um, no matter your status on, um, you know, what you feel about uh, electric vehicles. We want you to get in it and say, hey, you know what? These these things are, are not only good for the environment, but they get me around and, and they're, they're a great experience. And they're also a safe experience. I think that's the key there. Oh, absolutely, right? I mean, safety underpins all of this. Um, but, you know, we really want over time, and, and this is where groups that, uh, you know, we're both well aware of are working, um, is for people to really assume that these things are safe, right? Get to that point where it's not a question of, are they safe? It's, you know, these things are safe and that's not even in the calculus because it's just, it's just part of their natural thinking. Um, and so organizations like PAVE, Partnership for AV Education, Automated Vehicle Safety uh, Consortium, they're, they're really helping us get there. Um, but primarily, right, this falls on us. We got to get out there. We got to show our testing safe. We got to show our first deployments are safe. And, and that'll build up over time. You brought up a really good key point about the the individuals from all different backgrounds coming to San Francisco and experiencing your product and then going home and talking about it. Do you think when these individuals that they go to like Kansas or, or New York or Florida or Mississippi that they came there and they start talking to their friends and they talk to their teachers and then eventually starts to bubble up to the legislative body and say, okay, we need this technology here. I was able to go from this point to this point at a very affordable fare. Imagine if I had that in my hometown or my elderly mother, or I need to get to a doctor's appointment. Do you think that will help kind of usher in that technology and possibly lead to a national framework to allow crews to scale over time? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really do think, you know, what we're trying to do here starts in San Francisco, but it really is something that we want to bring nationwide. And that's for a couple of reasons. The reasons you talked about, which, you know, uh, safety and accessibility, but ultimately what's really driving us right now and, and has from the start is we need to attack something like climate change um, and using an all electric, you know, base vehicle that's been ingrained from us from day one. And to really make meaningful change, you need to get to meaningful scale. And, and that's really where we see a federal framework being the most helpful allowing us to get to scale, right? We have plenty of examples where you could go state by state um, to, 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 to change the rules, to make sure that the, these vehicles are uh, deployed in a, in a great, uh, safe manner. But what we need is kind of federal leadership and federal investment to make sure that happens. And it's not investment in the terms of like money. We're not, we're not seeking money. It's a great thing about the United States, right? Capital flows in and out, right? As you well know, and, and our listeners know, uh, lots of capital has flown into this industry. So it's not about asking for resources. It's asking about leadership. How do we set kind of a national goal or national uh, North Star that gets us to all see the potential and realize that potential in these vehicles? And so we've seen this across the globe, right? Uh, China, Japan, Germany most recently, Israel, UAE, they have set national goals around automation uh, and electrification and, and, and because they see it's important. And we just need America to recognize that. I mean, I think it does. American leadership sort of inherently gets it, but I don't think they need uh, and understand the urgency behind moving forward with action. Um, and, that, and that can take many forms, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I think really that's where it's at, is, is federal leadership on this issue. Um, and, and I think we've seen it in parts, but we hope it continues uh, to grow. You're right about federal leadership, and on a previous SAE podcast, we were honored to have Congresswoman McMorris Rogers, and she talked about America leading the way on innovation and self-driving. And today is the 23rd of September, and Congressman Bob Lotta reintroduced the Self-Drive Act. And I want to read you a statement from Congressman Bob Lotta and Congressman Greg Walden that they introduced today. 
There is a clear global race to AVs and for the U.S. to win that race. Congress must act to create a national framework that provides developers certainty and a clear path to deployment. From increasing mobility for seniors and self-sufficiency for those with disabilities to providing contactless deliveries during COVID-19 pandemic, AVs have limitless potential to drastically improve the lives of Americans. We cannot allow the U.S. to be outpaced, and this effort strikes a critical balance of ensuring safe de develop, de development and deployment of autonomous vehicles while keeping the U.S. at the forefront. What do you what do you think? Is that kind of going along, trying to get that that leadership going? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think Congressman Lada and Congresswoman uh, McMorris Rogers they've shown great leadership on this. As as have folks from uh, the other side of the aisle, right? Uh, Congressman Pallone, Congresswoman Dingle, uh, plenty of folks in the Senate as well. Senator Thune, Senator Peters. Uh, we have a lot of leaders who are invested in this. It's just a matter of of I think uh, finding uh, common ground on some of these issues. Um, but I think the underlying point he's making there, this really is a global competition. And the way I think about it is, um, you know, the, the, what underpins self-driving vehicles in terms of the algorithms, the machine learning, all of the technology, uh, it's akin to a revolution that's similar to the Internet. Um, and whose values do we want to instill in, in that uh, developing industry? We want American values. Do we want American workers? Do we want American companies to be the ones that are leading this, or, or do we want to cede it to somebody else? Um, and for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we're partnered with General Motors, one of the great American manufacturers. Um, and I think this is the opportunity for America to say, you know what, this is going to be an American-led revolution, and and that's, um, I think, what everybody can agree on. Everybody can agree on it, and your relationship with GM General Motors is a fantastic relationship is it's going to allow you to scale but it's also going to ensure that the technology can be developed here and that working with your partner General Motors that you can create the jobs here and that's a really powerful thing because the jobs that you're going to create are going to have a positive impact on the communities where you go to operate those vehicles and you know this better than most individuals where you operate you're going to have to create jobs absolutely and that that's not talked about and cruise with your partner GM will be an incredible job creator in, in communities around the United States. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's not only jobs, it's infrastructure, right? We, we have to build out a charging infrastructure. And that, that needs a lot of, uh, means a lot of jobs, means a lot of green new jobs, as, as folks uh, like to say. Um, it involves uh, oftentimes uh, union jobs. Um, and then beyond that, it's, it's, you know, in each place, we'll have to people will have to service the vehicles. We'll have to have engineers to to kind of continue to make sure that the vehicles get the op updates they need, both hardware and software. Um, it's physical properties in terms of where the vehicle is going to be located. So there's you know uh, security jobs with that. There are a ton of investment goes in to scaling this, um, and that's one of the big challenges ahead for the industry. Just to be honest, right? Uh, we're we're talking a lot about San Francisco. That's our home base. Um, that's where we do most of our testing. Uh, we have smaller bases in Phoenix and Michigan, but ultimately we want to be a national and international company. Um, but we have to figure out how to scale that. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of challenges ahead, and and that's why federal leadership is so important. It says, yes, if you build it and you invest and you get those jobs and you bring that investment to each uh, city and, and community you're in, you'll be rewarded. Uh, you'll be able to move forward and, and continue to make um, you know America a better place. And you'll also have a positive impact on those individuals that live, live in around those communities where you're operating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Uh, not only in terms of uh, the investments made in the community, but also in terms of their access to uh, what we're offering, which is, we believe is going to be at a lower cost uh, than a lot of the folks that are out there now. Um, it's going to provide them access to electric vehicles. Uh, what most folks don't realize is um, electric vehicle sales are increasing, but they're still so small, maybe one to 2% nationally of all the, the vehicles sold. Uh, a lot of people either can't afford them, they have no place to charge them, um, you know, or aren't thinking that they need or, or could actually access a green vehicle. And we're hoping we can change that. And the more miles that are green miles, the better everyone is off. It, it, it increases uh, the quality of air in those communities, um, particularly in those communities that uh, are of... Um, lower socioeconomic status, where you often see um, much poorer air quality and much poorer health results as a result. And so we think we can get at those issues in each community we're in. 
you'll have there's no doubt that you're going to have a positive impact on the environment in that community but i think that you're going to you're you're going you're you're autonomously driving run into my favorite topics is around education so you're creating a better environment you're allowing individuals who might not afford transportation to get somewhere for a very affordable cost when they need to get to where if public transit can get there you can get them there but when 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 you put in a vehicle and i've seen it with some boys and girls clubs and you talk to them about the concept of self-driving cars and it's operating their community and you're you're running around on an electric vehicle that's self-driving i just think about when the child gets in that vehicle or you bring it to a school one day for a, a, a learning day the, the what you're going to unlock in their imaginations look i can build this i can build this and then you're going to start getting all these engineers and they're going to get excited i can build a denser battery pack well if we tweak this and we did this and just the the, the education that's going to come along with this and the impact the community is just going to be absolutely fantastic oh yeah i, I couldn't agree more and, and we're seeing this here in san francisco so we we do a lot at cruise to invest in our community so a couple examples we sponsor uh, a group of young women uh, called the Misfits, uh, and they're part of the FIRST Robotics program, which is a fantastic program. And so we have our engineers kind of sit down and, and help mentor and work with this group of young women on um, advanced robotic competitions. And, and they see our vehicle and we walk through kind of you know what, we, what we've done that might be applicable to their current challenge. Uh, and their eyes light up and they have so many questions and, and so many great thoughts, right? Uh, I, I, I'm often uh, joked that I, I might be the dumbest person in that room at the moment. Uh, just the, the way that they get excited and the way they talk about this technology and, and what it means to them is, is really inspiring. Uh, and secondly, um, you know, for those that are a little further along in their education too, we, we're doing some great work with a, a group called Human Made uh, here in San Francisco. So this is for folks that are, um, kind of looking to revitalize their careers in, um, you know, manufacturing or, or hardware or electronics. And this is a, a community that comes together and provides them education and resources to advance their learning so that they can improve the quality of their life. And Cruise is a huge sponsor of it. Um, and we're involved. We've got a Cruise design lab there, and, and we provided a lot of our um, equipment that we no longer use, but it's still very state-of-the-art uh, for them to practice on. And it's great. Uh, I think we've had maybe 70 to 100 folks go through the program um, and they, they have nothing but great words to say about it. And, and, and the fantastic thing here, this is not meant to be a recruiting program for crews. This is just meant to help them advance their careers and, and learn a new skill. And it's just been fantastic, uh, kind of the results we've seen from it. And so there's just two small examples. I mean, we, we do a lot, but uh, our hope is what, whatever community we go into, we do programs like that. It, it's powerful and you know a mutual friend of ours jody kelman from lyft and we, we I love were, jody jody's awesome <laughs> we were talking the other day in pre-pandemic when she'll randomly go to vegas and hop in a car to learn people and there was this one uh lady she said wow i can make this a mobile nail salon and i, I can build my business because i can't afford the, the rent uh, for a physical location and jody said that it just completely the look on her face the, like the idea came in there and it's just going to change this lady's life and so what you're doing with that program is, is incredible because we don't know what that experience is going to do to have that positive impact on their life. So I thank you for that. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I, I, I talk to my team here at Cruise all the time. Uh, the biggest difference we can make as a, as an individual or a company is to change people's lives. Right. Um, and that's what we're hoping to do. Um, and I know it sounds, uh, kind of cheesy coming from a, a corporate stance, but Ultimately, we do think this technology and the way we plan to roll it out and the way we intend to engage with the community will change people's lives for the better. And that's why I'm here. You know me. I'm, I'm a bit of a, yeah. a sap on these type of things. Um, but, but that's what motivates me. Uh, it's why I spent so long in government. I spent you know, nearly 15 years in government because I love that idea of service and helping other people out. And for the, you know, for the listeners that don't know Rob, it's, it's genuine. It's not, this is heartfelt genuine. This is not corporate speak. This is this is Rob of, of who he is. Rob, Thanks. You're very welcome. When do we get to a point where we, we've talked about the education, the, the positive impacts on the communities? When do we get to a point where commerce, technology, and regulatory comes together so this, this vision can become a reality? Yeah, I mean, I think we're slowly starting to see this happen. Um, I wish it would happen at a quicker pace because I really do think um, so some of the bigger goals that uh, we're all trying to address this can be a win across all of these uh, fields, right? I, I don't see commerce and regulatory at odds on this issue. I, I really, they shouldn't be. 
I, I look here in California and today Governor Newsom uh, put out an executive order that said by 2035, all sales of light duty vehicles uh, should be electric. I'm like, that's great, but let's do it faster, right? Um, let's let's make sure that we're we're good to go. That that um, transportation models like ride sharing and fleet owned uh, vehicles are all electric sooner, um, and that's where I really see these goals meeting up, right? Uh, and so I I I I see it happening, uh, but not at the pace that I want. Um, and so there are organizations that are really trying to bring this together. I think two trends that are that are helping push this along at a faster pace. Um, one is, is there's a little bit of consolidation in the industry right now. Um, you know, we've seen that, uh, and I think that's a trend we all saw coming. I think you saw this coming uh, probably in 2015 when I first met you. So you've been a- ahead of this. Um, and then secondly, I, I do think it is this sense of. Um, there's this greater sense of international competition and that people should be rallying here around these shared goals, uh, particularly when it comes to big issues like like the climate, um, jobs, um, what we can do during the pandemic to, to make people safer and, and change our routines such that um, the new normal uh, does feel like normal. During the, the pandemic, you've been doing contactless delivery around San Francisco to help those who are in most need by delivering groceries. Could you talk about that, please? Oh, I love to. This is something I'm so proud out of Cruise. Um, so at the beginning of the pandemic in March, um, uh, we shut down all of our operations um, after talking with the mayor and, and the governor. And we, we were quickly acceded to the request to, to you know, follow the rules. And we said, sure. Um, over the course of those five weeks, right, you know me, I never sit still, uh, yep. always looking for a way to serve. Um, started to talk to a lot of folks in San Francisco, uh, particularly the folks that were um, in the uh, trying to help our fellow San Franciscans out. Um, and we, we had this conversation with the SF Marin Food Bank. That's the San Francisco Marin Food Bank, which is the largest food bank here in the city. And, and they said, you know, our demand, unfortunately, is through the roof. Um, and we've always relied on volunteers to deliver food and groceries to those most in need. And, and we just can't scale um, you know, volunteers, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, they're doing what they can, but, but they're not reliable, right? Nobody signs up to say, I'm going to deliver between nine and five Monday through Friday. Um, and they've got their own challenges. And we said, you know what, we, I said, I got 180 vehicles here, um, that aren't doing anything. Um, and we could be a really great way for you to get, um, uh, your service out and those in need, what, what, what you're delivering. Um, so, uh, you know, I went back and I talked with uh, our CEO and, and the other leaders at, at Cruise, and they were like, this is, this is a great idea. Like, let's do it. It wasn't a hesitation. It wasn't like, what do we get out of it? It's like, hey, we, we can help people out. Um, and so we, we started this program uh, back in April, um, and we've been delivering uh, to the most needy. I think our, our latest statistics that, that we work with, with uh, SF Marin Food Bank and another partner of ours, SF New Deal, uh, show that 85% of our deliveries are going to folks that are below the poverty line. Um, and they're being delivered to the, to in the city, the zip codes with the five highest rates of COVID. Um, and so today, I mean, I, I think I, I can say this, Haley might, uh, Haley, who's, uh, our public affairs representative who's listening in, um, we have a hundred that we've made a hundred thousand deliveries as of today, um, which is fantastic, right? Uh, this is something that, 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 that we're so proud to help our city out. Um, and we're, look, this is one of the things that we hope we don't have to do, right? We, we hope we don't have to be in this role, but the fact that, that we've been able to play it is just something that, that we feel is um, very proud for us, uh, helping our community out and kind of just really indicative of, of what Cruise stands for as a company. What have some of the thank you notes have you gotten? Have you gotten some pretty heart-wrenching, like tear-jerking we have. thank you notes? Yeah, we've gotten thank you notes, um, right? We've we've had folks that have come down to the food bank um, just wanting to give us a hug and say, hey, my, you know, I, I haven't been able to check in on my grandmother. Uh, I, I, you know, if it wasn't for you, um, she wouldn't be able to get what she needs. Um, we've had our, uh, so we, we our AVTOs or, or safety drivers that are in the, the vehicle um, that, that are there to help make the delivery. Um, they have said that the outpouring of appreciation from the folks that they meet has been fantastic. Um, and it really is something where they feel like inspired uh, to go to work every day. Um, and so it's, it's just really been a great partnership. But, but for us, it's more about 
doing the right thing than it is about getting the appreciation, right? I mean, the appreciation is great and we love it. And, uh, but we really love the city and we love its people, all the people that live here. And, and you've been here. It's, it's a diverse city like many cities. Uh, and so the fact that, that we can do this for our fellow citizens is, is something that, you know me, I'm, I'm almost about to cry. I'm just so proud that we're able to do that. Uh, I, would, I almost feel like renaming your company Cruise Cares. Yep. <laughs> so our internal program on, on, on helping our communities uh, is called Cruise Cares. Um, and so you've, you, again, uh, you're ahead of the curve. Um, I might have to go out there and trademark that now that you've got the idea. So, <laughs> or if somebody listens to it, they go to up, uh, USPTO.gov and all suddenly they're, they're one step ahead of us. <laughs> and then your legal counsel is like, not so fast. Exactly. <laughs> and coming out of this, you've, you're, you're, you're doing the right thing, but you're also learning a lot. Will Cruise at some point introduce a delivery service? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've, we've always envisioned our technology being able to have multiple uh, use cases. Um, and I kind of hate that word. That's kind of an industry word, right? Use cases. Uh, to, to be more plain spoken, yes. Uh, delivery, rideshare, who knows? Once you develop a driver that can operate safely, there, there are many ways that that can go in. Um, we previously had a partnership with DoorDash. Uh, so we learned a lot of valuable things about uh, the delivery process, working with a big partner, you know, integration of services and cultures. Um, and we're hopeful that we find other uh, partners in the future. But right now, we've, we've got a, a, an amazing delivery service happening uh, with our Stand with SF program, which is the, the program where we're delivering to those most in need. Um, but we certainly see a future in, de- in delivery for crews. January 21st uh, this year, you introduced the origin uh, for human passengers. Will that be the frame going forward where you could, I have a friend of mine that's obsessed with packaging where you, the food has to be packaged right. If it's plastic, the French fries get squishy and nobody likes to eat the French fries. Right. So do you develop, take the origin platform at some point and then build it for delivery? So if it's coming to your house with pizza or, or going here with a sandwich, the food's still delivered well, is that maybe kind of where we'll see it go? Yeah, we, we do expect, uh, so the origin is great, right? It's one of the reasons that we love the origin um, is the fact that it can have this multi-factor use scenario. And so we can um, play with the interior, right? So the, the origin for folks who may not know is a vehicle we produced with our partners at General Motors and Honda. It's all electric. It doesn't have a steering wheel or operator controls. And that really kind of opened up us to redesign the interior of a vehicle around, um, in, in certain cases, passengers, giving them more space, uh, giving them the ability to uh, move safely about the cabin. And we've done some things to, to make it uh, uh, you know, uh, increasingly safer as the pandemic uh, goes on. But it also has this flexibility where it can be used for delivery. Um, and it's it, the interior size space makes it capable of, of delivering everything from small to big packages to, to groceries to food. Um, we have all sorts of design variants on exactly what you're talking about, uh, which is what what is the consumer experience? It's different if you're ordering French fries or paella versus if you're ordering, you know, um, pillows and uh, a MacBook, right? And and so uh, the great thing is the Origin gives us this base vehicle that's super flexible to to work around each of those uh design choices i can't wait to see when when these new different um let's call it interiors of the origin come out and i hope you call because i want to go see them and give you my opinion because i think um oh yeah i mean this this is the thing right i mean january feels like 10 decades ago right uh a lot has happened in the world uh since then but that was the hope is you know we had this great event uh it was a lot of electricity in the air for that event uh pun intended given it's an all-electric vehicle um but we would hope our hope was to take it on the road and show people like this isn't a concept car this is going to production like we're we're we are literally going to start building uh, thousands of these vehicles in the next you know, 12 months with with our partner at GM and Honda. Um, so this is this is not like something you see at CES. This is an actual vehicle, um, and you know we were hoping to take it on the road and, and give people a sense of of what it is, how different that experience is. And we haven't been able to do that, um, but that has allowed us to work on other things at the same time, uh, such as some of these variants. And, and we're hopeful by the time this time next year we'll have kind of all those variants ready to go and, and you can come and see them and see what's different, see see how we've done uh, things in a smart way. Uh, 
I won't take any credit for those smart decisions. Uh, I think there's a lot of, we have a lot of design engineers and folks in, in Michigan and in Japan that are helping us with that, but uh, they look great. I mean, I'm, I'm just super proud of the work they're doing and, and, and always amazed by kind of the new ways they can figure out to, to, to make things more functional and utilitarian for, for our consumers. That's wonderful. So you have, let's call them the, the design engineering team working on uh different interiors for the origin during this pandemic. And you have yourself on the, the policy side with which I've called and you've called cruise cares. What have you, what have you learned during the, like as a company wide during the COVID pandemic and how is the company actively preparing for the next major catastrophe? You're in San Francisco. There's historically, there's been, there's been earthquakes and we've all witnessed the horrendous wildfires that are currently raging in California is there you and Dan and the, and the executive leadership actively planning for the next pandemic now? Uh, unfortunately, we are. Um, right? I think it's just kind of the reality of the world we're in. Um, so, I mean, what we've learned uh, are a couple of things. One, um, we can make a big difference, uh, as we've seen with our Stand With SF program. Um, two, uh, we can do more. Uh, as we talk to law enforcement, as we talk to the city and the state, there are so many needs that they have where AVs could be of help, right? Both in terms of uh, keeping people out of danger, particularly those first responders, if possible. Um, secondly, perhaps, um, you know, helping to um, get folks that, that are not quite in immediate danger, but in relative danger who might not have access to a vehicle or be able to drive. They might be infirm or, uh, you know, have low vision or something like that, that we could be of service there as well without putting an additional person in harm's way. Um, and then lastly, we've done a lot of talking um, with the governments, um, both state and local, um, about how we can help make the electric grid perhaps um, more resilient um, and also respond in cases where it, perhaps there are failures. As, as you might remember, there are uh, times when the grid here in California gets overloaded and they have to do um, uh, power shutoffs. I think they're called PSPS, power safety, power shutoff. Um, and so what we're working with is say, say an earthquake hit, which hopefully it doesn't, um, you know, the grid might fall down, but here we have uh, all electric vehicles that have the storage of electricity in it. Uh, how can we feed that back into the grid or how can we feed it into a smaller area so that law enforcement might have a, basically a generator on wheels to go with it wherever it needs to. Um, and so these are the things that we're trying to think about and work with the government to ensure that that, that we can play uh, a positive role in that next uh, crisis. Um, and then largely, and, and I've talked about it before, like uh, for that kind of slow but steady pace of climate change, we ultimately believe um, getting our service out there at scale can make a huge change to uh, the emissions factors that the transportation earned, uh, industry already puts out there. When I look at electric vehicles, and I think you're definitely on the right track here, I'm always thinking about, because I remember when I was the co-chair of the Atomic Vehicle Task Force in Beverly Hills, is that we ran the scenario, if every single resident of the city plugged in an electric vehicle at the same time on a high-watt charger, what would happen? If they plugged in two and ran all these scenarios, and it opened up this really long conversation with SoCal Edison about the backhaul of how do you get enough energy for this? Mm -hmm. When you're looking at crews to build out your all-electric fleet, are you looking into the backhaul capacity? So we are, um, and, and we're doing some really interesting things. So um, about a month ago, we announced that uh, since the end of last year, all of our uh, source for our energy um, is 100% renewable. So we're getting most, if not all, of our energy from solar power plants. Um, and I shouldn't call them plants, they're, they're solar powered, but it's really interesting where it's coming from. So we're getting a lot of it from the Central Valley and from um, Southern uh, California, right outside of Los Angeles. And where we're getting it from is mostly a bunch of schools uh, out there that have uh, you know put up solar panels and are collecting energy all day long. And we're buying it from there. I think, I think our estimate was so far this year, we've, we've um, put about, uh, gotten about a million dollars worth of uh, energy from those solar panels. Um, so we are looking at, at, at uh, the issue of backhaul, where are we sourcing our energy? Um, how much do we need? So this is a really interesting challenge for us. Um, so right now in the city of San Francisco, we own all of our chargers. And what that means is about 50% of all of the DC fast chargers in the city of San Francisco are cruise owned. Wow. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, we are really invested in uh, electric infrastructure and how it's sourced. Um, it's one of our bigger challenges uh, as we think about how to scale and where to scale. Right. I think about Florida as an example. Uh, you know, Miami uh, be a wonderful city to 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 bring crews to. But how does um, electrification work in Miami? Uh, you've got you got different hazards down there. You got flooding. You have heavy rain. Um, what does that look like with with Florida Power? Um, and th- these are some of the things that we work on in advance. Um, so we're working on them right now, even though we might be there for a few years. Um, but it's a really interesting challenge, uh, and it's one again where I think federal leadership can really help. Right? If we make electrification a priority and infrastructure a priority, I think everybody benefits from it. And then secondly, you know, another thing that we're trying to get across uh, to legislators, and now I'm putting on my policy hat, um, is look, right now EV charging infrastructure and credits and incentives, they all go to personal use. Um, why don't we think a little bit more expansively, right? We're about to do something where we can make uh, electric vehicles available to everybody uh, without ownership. Um, some of that incentive and, and some of that support uh, could be used to ensure that um, what we're trying to do is built out in a, in a great way, in a resilient way, and in an accessible way for everybody. So that, you know, when we're serving all those people who don't have access to an EV, uh, which are generally not the people that can go out and buy a Tesla or a Taycan, right, um, uh, that they their needs are met. Um, and so we're, we're, we're working on those issues with, with some of the legislatures as well. You said Miami, and I and I would love to welcome you to Miami. Miami is, is a is a. I know you. Oh uh, yes, <laughs> it's a great vibrant. It's a great vibrant city, and you mentioned to the solar, uh, uh, FPL Florida Power and Light is building solar farms. That's one of the coolest things I've seen. I've got to go yep. up in the tower, and then I got to go down and and see the whole and see. So oh, these things are cool. just they go as far. I'll send you a photo offline after this. They go as far as the eye can see. It's the coolest thing, and now you're seeing larger multinational uh, corporations, mostly in the big box retailer, putting solar down in Miami on their roofs. And so there's this really big movement um, in South Florida towards solar and it's doing really well. And then because the heat gets hot and you cover the parking lot, well, you put solar there. And so you have plenty of available uh, solar to come down here. When I look at EVs and now I'm going to put my, you put your policy hat on, I'm going to put my random geek hat on. <laughs> it has the I, I look at like the cobalt and, and the lithium in the in the supply chains, volatile governments, volatile supply chains. Uh, how are you going to secure enough precious metals to ensure that you can scale? No, it's it's a really great question. I know that's been um, you know one on the forefront of a lot of people's minds lately. So so for us, right, um, there's a lot going on in this space. Uh, a lot of innovation. Um, but we're being very deliberate about how we manufacture. And, and what I mean about that is our partner, General Motor, uh, General Motors, who, who builds most of our vehicles or all of our vehicles, um, they have a new battery platform. It's called the Ultima, Ultium battery. Um, and this is what will power uh, the cruise origin. It's being manufactured uh, right here in the United States at their Hamtramck facility, uh, which is great because it's all American labor. Um, and what's really great about the Ultium battery is it uses 70% less cobalt uh, than batteries today. Um, so that's one of the things I talk about when, when innovation comes along. Um, and they've also you know, announced a, a partnership uh, here in North America with Honda to continue to um, invest in battery technology. They're working with LG Chem uh, on advancements. So I think we're, we're um, working with our partners at General Motors on all these issues, but really the Ultium is the first step. Um, 70% less cobalt means even if you don't find more cobalt, you can go longer for further with that, what you have now. But, but this is an area where we have to continue to innovate. Um, and this is an area where I love, again, um, to see the U.S. kind of uh, incentivize and, and show leadership as to how we're going to uh, be more resilient with our supply chains. Um, right? There's a lot of a lot of tensions going on with with China right now, uh, and other folks that are in competition for these metals. Um, and so, uh, federal leadership, I think, is is something that uh, we could all use on this issue. You're spot on, correct? Because not having to deal with the uncertainty of the regimes in in the Congo mm-hmm. is a plus because that we've history was told us, and there's many case studies and things that you can look back that. It's an extremely volatile environment, and moving away from cobalt is great. And now that you've got so you got the supply chain figured out, 
you have the charging figured out, you have the the vehicle with the with the origin figured out. And now the next piece of the pie is scale. Yes. When you look to scale crews, is it a city by city approach, a state by state approach, or you're gonna kind of take more of a, a regional approach to scaling? We look at it as a, a city by city approach. Um you know, we, we think our biggest benefits uh, as as an organization and what our services offer are, are seen in cities uh, to begin with. That's not to say we we won't get to other areas, but when we think about our initial uh, path to scale, it is through uh, urban environments. Um, we also think the technology, right, this is why we test in San Francisco. It's, it's infinitely harder to test in San Francisco than some of the other uh, places that our competitors are testing, particularly in, say, Glendale, Arizona. Um, and so uh, what we see with that is, is one, it offers us a pathway to scale. When you solve the hardest problems first, scaling becomes a little bit easier. Um, and it's also uh, where we think the, the need is most uh, dire, right? Both in terms of how do we serve the most people? How do we... Um, ensure that uh, the, the promises that we see in terms of electrification and uh, increasing access occur, it's, it's you go where the people are, right? Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move out from there. Um, and so, you know, really San Francisco is our first test case for that. And then uh, we, we have an idea of where we wanna go next. I, I know you'll ask, but I can't share that with you. Um, but I think it starts in cities. Uh, and, and really for us, um, we'll take the same approach we did to San Francisco, which is we're not going to launch at cities. I'm not going to show up, uh, to, you know, uh, West Palm beach, Florida, uh, and say, Hey, by the way, I put a hundred cars out yesterday. Uh, it's just not the way we are. Um, so you'll, you'll, you and others will, will, will know cruise is coming. We'll work with the community. I think we plan to, uh, you know, make sure that what we do is with communities at all time. And um, that includes, you know, law enforcement and regulators. It includes uh, community groups. Uh, it includes uh, those who are most disadvantaged in those communities. And that's really what we're, we're working through here at, at Cruise in San Francisco. And I think it's going to be an ideal model for us as we go from city to city. And you know, for our listeners who, who might not know bef- before Rob's time at Cruise and, and going back to Kyle and Matt and like the founding team is that when, when I was in Beverly Hills, we were actively engaged with them and they came and sat down multiple whiteboard sessions on how do we work with your community? And I have to, you know, you, you've, you've taken that same trend and you've continued it because it was really impressive. It says, you know, we want you to operate here. And they came down, they had these deep discussions of what was needed and how to do it. And I can tell you from the mayor, the city manager and the city council, it was a breath of fresh air because you, the team came in and said, we want to be your partner. We might, we're not guaranteeing we can come here, but we're, we want to walk you through the process of, of how this works and what will be needed. So it's really, it's a really positive thing. I think another positive thing that you're doing is you're teaching your your vehicles how to operate Chester. So you got lots of cyclists in San Francisco that make also. I'm teaching my daughter now ride a bike, and so we're learning all the hand signals. So I'm teaching a six year old the gestures, but yet you're teaching a a car these gestures. How are you going about teaching the car these hand gestures? Left turn, right turn, some braking. How are you How are you doing that? Yeah, no, it's it's great stuff what we're doing there. Um, you know, we recently put out a blog post on this, so I I, I, I suggest everyone go to medium backslash getcruise.com and, and look at uh, a blog post on on how we read body language of people in the street. But uh, it's not only it's a combination of of taking the real world data we see out there. Uh, you know, we're out on the roads. I think we did about eight hundred thousand miles last year in California alone. Uh, hopefully on pace uh, to do about similar this year. Uh, so we see a lot of things on the street uh, and we take that data and, and we refine it and we look for hand gestures. But as you know, you're not going to see everything out in the wild, right? Uh, it's sort of like uh, bird watching. Uh, you, you might see a couple of things that you really like, but you're not going to see everything. Uh, so one of the other things that we're doing is um, we're, we're doing motion capture of uh, of of. Um, cruisers. So we took cruisers of all different body types um, uh, and and put them in you know a motion capture suit, and we had them do thousands of hand gestures, uh, right? And and we we made them do it whether it's in a uh, the hand gestures that someone on a bicycle might make, hand gestures that police might make, or or even just how regular citizens and and we we studied film and and studied our our video catalog of 
what do regular citizens do when say there's an accident, right? And they're just trying to wave people around and be a good corp, uh, good citizen. And so we have thousands of these images and we continue to refine and run them through our uh, machine learning program. And, and we've seen some great advancements on there. Um, and so it's, it's a really fun thing. Uh, you know, you, you know, I never thought when I got into this field that I'd be going down and seeing folks in, in green bodysuits and little, you know, lights all over them, uh, mimicking hand gestures. Uh, and when I first got down there, let's just say maybe one of them, uh, gave me a hand gesture that perhaps we shouldn't teach the vehicle to learn, uh, but <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> in, in jest, um, but it's great because it really does help the vehicle learn. And, and we see this and we're seeing it uh, on the streets every day as our vehicles get smarter and smarter in recognizing them. Did you work with law enforcement and first responders on certain signals that we might not know that they used to communicate so your vehicles are aware of if an officer does this or, um, you know, an, an individual working with an ambulance does this, it means this? A, a little bit. Uh, a lot of what we've done with law enforcement, um, which they've been great partners and, and we, we meet with them uh, consistently. Um, it's everything from from the hand gestures, but they want to make sure that we know the basic ones first, right, before they get into kind of, I don't know, advanced hand gestures, 202. Um, but they also, you know, helped us identify what are the types of clothing, um, what colors, you know, what, what should our vehicle recognize in terms of uh, not only visual representation of what a law enforcement officer is, but audio representations of their vehicles, of the different sounds their vehicles make. Um, and so they've been great. Um, you know, we sat down with the SFPD and, and SFFD uh, uh, consistently and, and get their feedback. Uh, they come in very inquisitive, um, but it's an open dialogue. Uh, we go back and forth in terms of everything from, uh, like you said, hand gestures to how do they stabilize the scene? Uh, what should we be doing? What information do they need to know? Um, you know, we have electric vehicles. Where should they cut? We give them diagrams and instructions, uh, who to contact. Um, you know, in addition, uh, we talk about, you know, after an incident, all right, once the scene is stabilized, all this data resides on the vehicle. Um, what should be the process and uh, for who gets to, to retrieve that information? How do we share that information? Um, you know, a lot of times the information that's on there, um, it, for the average uh, person, doesn't doesn't know how to interpret it, right? And so we sit down and we explain to them kind of what, what these mean. What, what does this sensor data mean? Uh, does that really affect kind of accident investigation or, or crash investigation? Um, and so we do this consistently and they've been great partners. And, and this is again, something that we hope to bring to a more national model. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of great relationships with law enforcement through some of the groups that are out there. Um, and we're really hoping to bring that message of you know, come ask us. Uh, we want to talk to you. Uh, you know, we want to know what your questions are. We want to know what your concerns are. Um, because they are, if not the most important, one of the most important stakeholders in this, um, right? The role they play in safety and road safety and, and just um, safety in general with what's going on. Um, it's, in, it's critical that they feel comfortable around this technology. Cruise cares and Cruise is a role model. We've got some clear themes here, and I got. I want to ask you this before we wrap up because we we've talked about the the present and you know in the near future, but twenty years from now, when when you and I are sitting at a baseball game, remember the the good old days way back when, two crotchety old guys. Right. <laughs> what does Cruz look like? Well, first of all, I hope it's another World Series game that we're at with the Yankees, right? Awesome. Um, that, that's first and foremost uh, one of the more important things to get out there. Uh, you know, for me, what I hope is that that cruise looks like just a staple of everyday life, right? That um, you don't even think twice about uh, kind of how you're going to get around. You know, you say, hey, I'm, I'm going to the game. I'm, I'm going to see Rob and, uh, you know, listen to him drone on for another two hours about how great, <laughs> uh, you know, it was to have Dave Winfield paired with Roberto Kelly for that one year in 1990. Oh, that's um, awesome. <laughs> You know, I, I really do hope it just becomes that much ingrained in, in our everyday use um, and such that, you know, you're not even making a conscious choice about how you're getting around, that, that you just default to cruise, that, um, you know, all the benefits that we've talked about in terms of climate, in terms of safety, in terms of accessibility, they're all there. And it becomes more of an issue for, for you know, um, business management schools that say, you know, what happened here? Why was there such a kind of reluctance to accept this when we see 
kind of everything that's that's gone through and um you know i i think i think that's what i see for cruise in the future um and i think it's gonna be great i, I think it this really is a situation where i know like i'm self-interested i work for cruise i'm supposed to promote cruise but i really do think everybody wins out of this calculation um and so yeah you may say you're supposed to say that about cruise but really it's it's about the industry in general uh i mean do i think cruise will be a leader in that absolutely but I think this industry really has a chance to make big changes. And, and that's what I want to see uh, ultimately in 20 years. And everybody wins. And this year, Garrett Cole's going to pitch us to our 28th World Series title. And then we're going to bring... Oh, without a doubt. we're going to bring up the kids with <laughs> Debbie and Schmidt next year. We're going we're gonna to go for 29 in, in person. And Rob, as we look to wrap up this wonderful conversation, I'd like to leave it with this. What would you like a listener listening to this conversation to take away with them about crews and self-driving cars in general? So, I mean, I hope they walk away knowing that, look, Cruise is the real deal, um, that we really do stand behind what we say in terms of wanting to make a big change and drive change uh, uh, at a large level. And that's why we're not taking half measures. It's why we're all electric. It's why we're all in on a, on a completely new vehicle type like the Origin, that, that we're bold, that we want to show leadership, and that we want to work with everybody. Um, and that's, that's an example of, of what we've done here in SF during the pandemic. Um, it's an example of kind of leadership that we've shown in, in the outreach to law enforcement and other communities. So I hope they walk away with that, that, that look, the interest is genuine to lead, the interest is genuine to change, and the interest is genuine to collaborate. Um, and that's what I hope they walk away with. That and I hope we went over some more Yankee fans. Yes, please, uh, to the Yankee fans listening. Please, root, 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 root. We're going to do good. And <laughs> and as we've heard on this wonderful conversation, Cruise is ushering in the future of mobility. And, and Rob, thank you for this absolutely wonderful, insightful conversation with a lot of baseball mixed into it. So thank you so much. Well, well thank you, Grayson. I mean, I'm, I'm just honored that you asked me. Um, and it's a lot of fun to talk to you. Anytime you want to continue the conversation uh, on this podcast or any other, I'm, I'm there for you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rob. All right. Thanks so much. Take care, Grayson. Thank you for listening to SAE's Tomorrow Today podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate it, share your feedback, we love comments, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information on SAE and SAE podcasts, be sure to visit sae.org forward slash podcast and follow SAE on social media at SAEINTL on Twitter and Instagram, and at SAE International on Facebook and LinkedIn. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.